Would you stand with me this morning as we read God's word in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 14. And the Bible says, you are the light of the world. Everybody say, I am the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, I will let my light shine before others so that they will see my good works and I can give glory to my Father who is in heaven. The Bible says you are the light of the world. I hope that you've taken ownership. I hope that you have taken possession. I hope that you have grabbed a hold of. I hope that you don't think that you're going to be the light of the world. The Bible says you are the light of the world. I hope you're not trying to be the salt of the earth the bible says you are the salt of the earth you need to know this morning that before you leave here today that god declared in your life before the foundations of the earth were ever made that you have a light that's going to shine all around this world and that you have a light that's going to portray the gospel of jesus christ all around this world this morning the title of this morning's message is called top 10 this is the final message in this series that we've started at the beginning of the year shine brighter shine farther and so we're going to do shine brighter shine farther top 10 first point that i want you to bring to you this morning or the 10th point of the whole series is this vision do not appear they are birthed and they are built many people think and they see God do amazing things with couples families ministries churches all over the world but most people don't realize that visions just appear a lot of people look at the way Bible church and you've seen us over the past couple years like wow they just appeared out of nowhere no we didn't <laughs> ask the people who were with us at the hotel room ask Angela up there here ask Linda visions don't just appear they're birthed and they are built when a vision is birthed on the inside of you you're gonna begin to ask the question of God God why is this burden on my heart why is this so important in my life? What is the deal with this, God? Why is this so big on the inside of my life? If you have not taken a hold of shine brighter, shine farther, it's because you've not asked yourself the why question. God, why is the vision of the church important to me? And if you'll begin to ask yourself the why question, why it's important to you, God will begin to reveal why shine brighter, shine farther is important to you. Some of you are sitting here thinking, Pastor, I don't know what expanding the parking lot and putting lights out there has to do with me. Well, some of you, your own family members won't come because they got to park in the grass and walk through the mud on mornings like this morning because we don't have parking places. I've had people specifically tell me, Pastor, when you get a bigger parking lot and we don't got to park in the mud, I'll come to church. Now, some of y'all are thinking, well, that's kind of fickle and superficial. Well, to the unborn again person, they're thinking according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. And so when we begin to adopt, why is this important to me? Then God will begin to show you the what of your vision. The why is why it's birth. The what is how you build it. When you get the why part down, you'll begin to say, God, now what is my part? I know why it's important to me but what can I do to help get this vision across I want you to continue to ask yourself the why questions and the what questions what is my part in fulfilling this vision the vision of the church this year is for three main things to happen the first one is to span the parking lot so God can continue to do his work and then also we're going to be debt free this year amen so by faith we're just going to go ahead and say we are debt free right now in the name of Jesus and all God's people said amen and so now that we have a great big parking lot so people don't got to walk through the mud, we're debt-free. We can go expand the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. What good is it going to do to be debt-free and expand the gospel around the world if we haven't equipped the saints to go do the work of the gospel? Amen? So we want you to get involved in a small group of any sort at this church. We want you to be here on Sunday mornings. We love it that you're here for our Sunday morning worship services. We would love it more if you would come to a Sunday school class. We would love it if you would be right here on Sunday morning. We're going to equip the saints for the gospel of Jesus Christ because it does us no good to try to shine brighter, shine farther 
other if we ain't got anything to shine. So that's point number 10. Visions, they don't just appear, they are birthed and they are built. Point number nine of this whole series is going to be this. True fans, we talked about true fans and then we talked about fair weather fans. True fans arrive early, they love overtime, weather is not a factor and they never miss. They even pay the ticket price and then some. You know, when you're a true fan, you don't mind getting to the game early and you definitely don't mind staying late, especially when you win, amen? So you'll pay the price and then some. The problem with most Christians, they're not true fans, they're simply called fair weather fans. Because most people said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us come to the house of the Lord, but you were glad that they said come, but you never had an intention on getting planted. Psalm 92 says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. A lot of believers say, pastor, pray for my family. I want my family to grow. I need my family to be blessed in finances. I need my family to be blessed in our marriage. I need my family to be blessed in our kids. And my answer to them every time is, come get involved in church. Well, how does that help? Because the Bible says those who are planted in the house of the Lord flourish in the courts of their God. When you get planted, you can begin to flourish because when you're planted, you got access through a root system to the things of God, to the water of life that brings nutrients to your family, your life, and everything about you. But many people, they're just glad to come to the house of God. They never have an intention on getting planted. And therefore, many people who say they're true fans are really fair weather fans because when the first thing of chaos or strife hits their family, they're gone. The Bible says in James, don't be like that. Don't be the double-minded man that's tossed to and fro by the winds and the waves of the world. When you're planted in God's house, the Bible says you'll flourish in the courts of your God. And flourishing in the courts of your God also means you'll flourish here on this earth. So when you begin to get planted in the house of the Lord, you'll flourish in the courts of your God. We want to make the differentiation. Are you a true fan or are you a fair weather fan? Don't just be glad to come. Be excited about getting planted because when you get planted, that's when the fun really starts. You ever notice that when you've been on a losing team for a long, long time and then you have this glimmer of hope? My Michigan Wolverines for the past years have been horrid. In the past two years, we've made it to a bowl game. But you get this glimmer of hope and you begin to get excited once again. A lot of people are afraid to get plugged in because you're afraid about getting excited about the things of God again because you've lost in the past. Well, I'm gonna encourage you, don't just get planted. Get planted in the house of the Lord. See, a lot of people get planted where believers get together, but it's really not constituting the house of the Lord. There are several things that constitute the house of the Lord. I don't have time to preach that this morning. But I guarantee you, one of the things that constitutes the house of the Lord is people getting born again. We're having people born again every single week at this church. This constitutes the house of the Lord. The Spirit of God shows up. The angels of God minister. Miracles, signs, and wonders take place before the Lord our God. Those are things that constitute the house of the Lord. So don't just be happy about coming to church. Be excited about getting planted in a place where you can see your family grow, flourish, and prosper and be all that God's called it to be. Now that you have realized that visions don't appear, they're birthed and that they're built, also you realize that you're not just a fair weather fan, you're a true fan. What comes before nine? All right, the eighth point of the top 10 is this. Do you remember the sermon that I preached? It's called You're Out. You have cop-outs, hold-outs, drop-outs, and all-outs. We realized at the end of that message that Jesus made you an all-out. All-outs are people who have goals, commit to them, and pay the price to watch them succeed. I believe that this church is full of a people who are all-out for the kingdom of God. I believe that this church is full of people who have goals, they commit to seeing them through, and they'll pay the price to watch it come through. The best thing about it is, is God turns a bunch of hold-outs, cop-outs, and drop-outs into a bunch of all-outs. The Bible talks about the Pharisees and this is what a cop-out is. A cop-out is somebody who puts high expectations on somebody else and doesn't want to live up to any of the expectations themselves. Therefore, Jesus said this about the Pharisees. Listen to what they tell you because what they tell you is right, but do not do what they do because they tie heavy burdens upon people, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. Can I tell you that God went after Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter number 6 and verse number 7 that a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That means God changed a bunch of uh, cop-out disciples 
disciples who made everybody else do the work. He transformed their life to being all outs and they sold out for the kingdom of God. And so if you've been that person who you expected everybody else in the church to do all the work, get ready. God's going to change you from where you're at to making you an all out. A person who's fully committed, who's fully invested and who will pay the price to watch it come to pass. We talked about holdouts. John Mark was a holdout. There was a young man when Jesus was arrested and the Bible says there was a young man watching all this take place and he began to run off but somebody grabbed his robe so he threw off his robe and ran away naked. See, some of y'all didn't know the Bible was rated X. It talks about naked people in the Bible. It says he ran away naked and a lot of people believe and I truly believe this as well because the facts are overwhelming on it that that same young man who ran away naked who was the holdout, he came back and wrote the gospel of Mark. God used somebody who ran off, ran away from Jesus at the last minute when Jesus could have used him most. He ran off. God made him an all out. He wrote a gospel in the Bible. The last one I want to talk to you is about dropout. Dropouts this morning are people who commit to Christ, follow Christ, and all do everything Christ says to do. You're the first one to jump on the bandwagon. You're actually the last one to jump off the bandwagon. The problem is you still jumped off the bandwagon. Peter was the ultimate dropout, but how many of you know that at the end of the gospel of John, he asked Peter three times, will you feed my sheep? And Peter was reinstated to the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, became the second of the greatest of all the apostles that were out there. So it doesn't matter what condition you're in this morning. You can be a dropout, you can be a cop-out, you can be a holdout, but Jesus is going to make you an all-out this morning. All-outs are people who have goals, commit to them, and will sacrifice to make them come to pass. Jesus was the ultimate all-out. His ultimate goal was to please the Heavenly Father. His commitment was to you and to me that we wouldn't die and have to live a life of burning in hell after we died because of our sins. He paid the price for that. He paid it by the ultimate sacrifice with his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross of Calvary. Can I tell you, Jesus is the first of the ultimate all-outs, but he didn't say, let me just do all the work. He said, now you go forth and be an all-out in my name. So number 10, we've got number nine, we've got number eight, what's next? Number seven on the list of top 10. Many of us face a big problem in our vision. We face the problem of fear. The fear problem that we face is we got more fear that will strike out than faith that will hit the home run. We got more fear in striking out than faith that will hit the home run. Many of us, we get up to bat, we come down to the plate and we stand here and we don't see the God who said with him all things are possible. We see the nine people trying to throw us out. We don't see the God who says that all things are possible. We see a pitcher right in front of us who's hurling 95 mile an hour fastballs at us. We don't see the God who said, with me all things are possible and you're my children. We hear the catcher behind us whispering things in our ear that says you're going to strike out. You're no good. You're worthless. Remember the last time you came up to bat? Remember how silly you looked when you swung and you missed? See, we got more fear in striking out than faith that we can hit a home run. Amen? Well, the Bible talks about this in James. It says, James says this, do not be a double-minded man, unstable in all that you do. How can a person who says, I believe in Jesus, hold two counteracting beliefs at the same time? I'll tell you how. Because your experience overrides your faith. Many of you will not step out in faith and do something because you'll say this, I tried that once and this is what happened. See, the problem is you got to get a new experience. You've got to get a new experience. It's as simple as that. See, a lot of people, when they come up to the issue of fear because they've struck out in the past, we'll say, you struck out on tithing. Pastor, I tried that tithing thing one time, and it just didn't work. No, the truth is, tithing tried you, and you were found unfaithful. Now, listen to this. If you've tried it and you've struck out before, the only thing that's going to replace that old experience is a new experience. See, knowledge replaces knowledge, but experience replaces experience. See, a lot of people, we sit here, and because we've had a bad experience, Colton, we think we read more, we pray more, we study more. That'll get us past our bad experience. No, it won't. The only thing that'll get you past a bad experience is a new experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when you get born again, I always ask people this. I say, Miss Carol, tell me about your salvation experience 
not the scripture you quoted when you walked up here. Because I want to know that you had an experience with Christ. I want to know, April and Heath, that God touched y'all immediately and changed y'all eternally because of an experience. Not because you said what a preacher told you to say and you just had knowledge that replaced knowledge but never had an experience that replaced an experience. The biggest issue we face many times stepping out in faith is the problem of fear. Well, I'm going to challenge you this morning that the Bible says this, you are from God and greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Amen. And if the Bible says greater is the God that's in you than everything that goes on this world that means the pitcher that's throwing 95 mile an hour fastballs that he can't strike you out the catcher that's whispering things in your ear can't strike you out the center fielder who can run back and forth quicker than you can even think about running he can't get to the ball fast enough because you can't catch a home run ball when you've hit it over the fence amen so it doesn't matter about the nine that are here because when it's over the fence it's over the fence don't let fear stop you from stepping up and getting your home run what point are we on now six there you go y'all are doing good so if now that you know that you got the ability to hit the home run you need to step up to the plate You need to step up to the plate. I'm going to ask you this morning to step up. I'm going to ask you to step out. I'm going to ask you to do some awesome things for the kingdom of God throughout this next year to help you shine brighter and shine farther than you've ever had before. I'm going to ask you and I'm going to encourage you to step up, grab the bat, because listen to this. The bat is this. It's the driving force connected to the power source that will knock it over the wall. See, the power's on the inside of you. The power is right here. The Bible says this. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. You know, the biggest miracle that ever took place was raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Bible says that same resurrection power is on the inside of you. The question is, if you know you got that power on the inside of you, why are you not stepping up and grabbing the bat? Because here's the problem. Knowledge begats knowledge, but experience will overtake experience. You've got to have a new experience. What greater place to have a new experience in Christ Jesus than in the house of God? Amen? See, a lot of you say, God asked me to go witness to this person, and pastor, I went up and witnessed to him, and they ended up being a believer. Well, praise God. God's trying to encourage you. God is trying to get you to a place where you're willing to step out and pray for somebody. What better way to do it than to bring you to a believer who will get excited about what you just did, and now y'all can be excited together, amen. And if one can put a 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000, why don't we just get a little bit more excited and get praying? And I say this, if you're not willing to take a step of faith in the church house, you'll never do it outside the church house if you won't do it with a group of believers who love you and support you in an atmosphere of faith where God can transform your life you'll never do it outside the church house I need you to step up to the plate I need you to step up not just this morning but step up every time your name is called I need you to just say, Pastor, I'm there. Pastor, we're going to see this through. Pastor, we're going to press on with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor, it really doesn't matter what the world says because remember what you preached? You know, sometimes I listen to my own messages and I'm like, why did I say that? Because Sunday it's great and good, but Mondays I wake up sometimes and it's like, whew, who was that guy yesterday? So believe me when I say this, your name is going to get called. You're going to step up to the plate. This year you will hit a home run. Everybody say amen. See, some of y'all already get nervous. Oh my gosh, what's he going to ask me to do? I'm not going to ask you to do anything except be obedient to what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Well, how do I know it's him? You know that little unction every Sunday morning when we have an altar call and you keep ignoring it and kicking it and kicking it to the person behind you and say, would you get off of me? And you're saying, get thee behind me, Satan, and it's the Holy Spirit. And I need you to listen to that inner voice on the inside of you and watch what God can do because he wants you to step up to the plate. God has greatness destined for everybody in this room and he wants you to step up to the plate and hit the home run. To hit the home run, we gotta realize where we're fighting from. The biggest problem we face in this fight and hitting the home run, it's not devil, it's not the circumstances, it's not even issue. The biggest problem believers face in this fight is we're trying to fight from the wrong position. We're trying to fight from the wrong position. We're trying to get to victory when God says we're fighting from a place of victory. We're trying to get 
get up here when God said we're already up here? Did you read what Ephesians says? Now you have been saved by grace and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, most people read that verse and they say, it is by grace you have been saved, period. We close the book. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We're saved by grace. Oh, I'm so happy we're getting to heaven one day. No, because English translation put a period and a number there to switch verses doesn't mean God intended the phrase to stop. The Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible says, by grace you have been saved and raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible never stopped, but you did. Because when you realize that you've been saved by grace and raised up, that means you're in a different position. See, your conditions aren't going to change until your position changes. And when you have a position change, then you'll have a condition change. The problem is many of you are trying to change your conditions in the midst of your condition. The only way you're going to change your condition is getting to a new position. And it's not that you're having to get there. You just got to realize that you are there. And I use this illustration when I preach this message. Remember when you were a kid and you played king on the mountain? And remember when you were on top of the mountain, how easy it was to kick people down? I mean, you were up here, people trying to knock you off, and you just kind of push them with your foot, you push them with your hand. It didn't matter what you had. But it was easy when you were on top of the mountain. The trouble was when you got knocked off the mountain, you had to reclaim your territory. And when you had to get up and reclaim your territory, you're trying to get to victory instead of fighting from a place of victory. And when you get back to the place where you're fighting from a place of victory, instead of trying to get to victory, you'll start walking in victory in every area of your life. Husbands and wives, if you and your wife or your husband will commit that your marriage is already victorious, your marriage will get a lot easier to walk in victory. The problem is y'all are so busy fighting each other, you're not even fighting to get up to the mountain. You just got to have a position change in your life so your conditions can start manifesting the way you want them to, which is a godly household and a godly family. So if we're going to walk this walk out and we're going to hit the home run and we're going to be all that God called us to be, it's going to be because we got to have a position change in our life. We're at number five, contender. This is where we read about Jacob and when Jacob wrestled with God, and I made these three points. When you can wrestle with God, you'll win every battle in the world. When you cannot be shaken by God, you will not be shaken by the world. When you can contend with God, God, you can contend with the attacks of the world. See, the problem with many believers are we don't contend with God. Therefore, when the enemy comes, we get beat by the enemy. But when we begin to contend with God, contend does not mean fight against. Many people think that the term contend means to fight against. Contend does not mean fight against. I used this illustration when I preached this message. I said, I contend with my boys. I will wrestle with my sons all the time. And I'm sure Sherry gets sick of it because all we do is wrestle. And then when dad's not home, they expect to contend with mom. And mom doesn't contend like dad contends. <laughs> Caleb's got this thing when we start contending, he'll be like, dad, and he can't say throw very good. So he says, daddy, throw me. And what he means is I stand on this side of our big ottoman and the couch is over there and he'll run up to me from this way and I'll pick him up and I'll just toss him. And he'll land on the couch very safely and it's soft and plush and it's a wonderful couch and the springs are probably all broken, but we contend. Contending is not negative. In fact, my kids love to contend with me the same way God loves it when we contend with him. Do you know God loves it, Miss Sharon, when you will walk up to him and say, God, I got a question about this scripture. Let's discuss it together. Let's contend on this. God says, come, let us reason together. He wants to reason with you. He wants to contend with you. He wants to develop your skills. He wants to make you sharp. He wants you to come and say, you want some of this. My kids will run up, Daddy, want some? Because he wants to contend. God wants us to run up to him and say, God, do you want some of this? And I guarantee you God's saying, come on. And it's not a negative term. So many people think the term contend is negative. Boxers, when they are getting ready for a fight, they have somebody that they spar or contend with. It's somebody to practice on. God says, come practice on me. I am the infinite God with all the power, all the wisdom, all the knowledge. When you practice on me, the battles in the world won't be very much at all. But because 
because you don't contend with me, you can't contend in the world. We need to start contending with God. I love contending with God. I love closing my office door and just wrestling with God over scripture and saying, God, show me what this means. Teach me what this means. God, show me the value in this. God, show me how this helps shine brighter, shine farther. God, show me where this applies to my life. God, show me in my heart what I need to change. I contend with God. If you don't contend with God, you won't make it in this world. Your vision and the vision God's birthed on the inside of you, the vision you're trying to build because it doesn't just appear, will never come to pass until you contend with God in your life. I want you to be a church that contends with God. Because when you contend with God and you contend with him on a daily basis, the world can't shake you. The devil can't stop you. The things of this earth can't hold you back. Because when you can contend with God and win, you can contend with the world. And some of y'all are saying, you mean you can beat God? There's a time in your contending that God has trained you so well, you'll come to contend and he says, I'm not contending because you're already right. What do I mean by that? There's times I'll be in meditation in the scripture and God will reveal to me what a verse means. And I'll, be, and I'll go before God and I'll say, God, show me what this verse means. And he said, I can't contend with you because you're already right. And I said, God, prove it to me. And I'll open up and open up to the literal translation, the first century translation of what it means. I'll go to the strongest concordance and I'll look through it and I'll break down the Greek and the Hebrew words and it means exactly what the spirit of God revealed it to me as and God says I can't contend with that because you're getting to be so much like me you're thinking like me you're talking like me you're acting like me you're fighting like me and you'll win how many want to get to that place in your life in fact it's not something we want to do it's something we've got to do we've got to contend with the Lord our God point number four Tim Kazare says this our greatest fear as individuals and as a church should not be failure but succeeding at things that don't really matter our greatest fear as a church as the body of Christ shouldn't be a failing see many of you don't step out because of fear of failing our greatest fear as the body of Christ should not be a failing our greatest fear as the body of Christ should be this that we're succeeding at things that don't really matter great case in point pastor couldn't all this money that we're using to expand the parking lot be used for something else it could be yes by doing this pastor are we succeeding at something that doesn't really matter see the truth of the matter is we're not succeeding at something that doesn't really matter because we know this will draw people into the kingdom of God we know this out here what God has told us to do will draw people in it'll allow people to come in and get fed the word of God it'll equip them as saints to go out into a lost and dying world and be all that God has called them to become but the problem with many of our lives as believers is that we're succeeding at things that really aren't going to pay off in eternity and in that time frame and this is where I brought up the example are we allowing ourselves to just settle for good when God has called us to be great in this life see I believe that God's called every believer to an attitude and an aura and a realm of greatness but we are so content and happy with being good that we've sold out being great because we're proud that we've accomplished good. See, the problem is we've lowered God's standard of greatness, and now that we've met the lowered mark, we're proud of our accomplishment when actually we haven't accomplished anything at all because we lowered the standard from the beginning. When we get to the realm of God, God wants us to walk in the realm of greatness. Notice I differentiate this. I didn't say perfection. I said greatness. I understand slipping and falling. I understand stumbling and failing. I understand having the occasional brain lapse of momentary things. I understand those things. But don't let that hinder you from greatness. And don't let what you invest all of your life in just amount to good when we're successful at just being good when we've missed the ability to be great our greatest fear as believers and as a church should not be failure but it should be at succeeding in things that don't really matter at all in this life many times jesus talked about stewardship stewardship is not trying to get something that you don't have it's taking care of what you do have how many of y'all remember the pea patch message the pea patch message was this it was the message where shema the bible says stood his stand in the middle of a pea patch he stood his stand in the middle of a pea 
knee patch. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The problem is many of us just see a pee patch just for what it is, a pee patch. When God never designed your pee patch just to be a pee patch, he designed your pee patch to become a pasture of promise. The first point you need to remember on this, and this is twofold in purpose, point number three is that your pee patch is not just what you see it as. Your pee patch is actually a pasture of promise. Your pee patch is not just what you can make of it. Your pee patch is not just baking pies. Your pee patch is not just selling t-shirts. Your pee patch is not just laying the foundation for the parking lot like we talked about. Your pee patch is not just tutoring kids when they need tutoring for the vision fund. Your pee patch is not just this simple thing. But God is saying this, when I can find you faithful in this simple physical thing that you can do, I can entrust you not just with a pee patch, but with a pasture of promise. We begin to talk about this, that Shema, when he, after he defended his pee patch and brought about a great victory that day, he did not just stay Shema in a little bitty pee patch, but he became one of David's chief mighty men. Now David had 30 mighty men and three chief mighty men. The Shema became one of David's mighty men. Why? Because he wasn't satisfied with the pea patch. He actually realized that this pea patch was a lot more than a pea patch. This pea patch was a lot more than just something simple that he could have in his hand. His pea patch was actually his key to getting to where God had called him to be in this lifetime. I'm going to ask you right now, what are you doing with the abilities that you already have in your life to work in the kingdom of God? I loved what we learned in Sunday school this morning, that if you're a doctor, you're not a doctor. You're full-time ministry in a doctor's costume. If you're a teacher, you're not just, you're not a teacher. You're in full-time ministry in a teacher's costume. If you're a private business owner, you're not a private business owner. You're in full-time ministry running a private business because God wants you to be faithful with where you're at before he can bring you to your pasture of promise. And the one thing that I remember more than anything, and I've talked with Cody about this several times, and I say, Cody, the one thing I miss about working at Brookshire's more than anything else, I don't get to run into the amount of lost people that I used to. You know, when I was carrying somebody's groceries out, I can tell when they're having a bad day. Ma'am, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. It's like, don't talk to me. Just put my groceries in my trunk. Don't smash my eggs. Don't crush my bread. And hush. That's your opportunity to smile and become a good steward. And you know what? God began to quicken my heart. And he said, why don't you ask if you can pray for her? And so I got bold one day. And I said, do you mind if I pray for you? Because I can tell you're not having the best of days. And this lady just teared up and began to cry. I said, I would love for you to pray. For I said, do you want me to pray right here, right now? She said, oh, no, 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 no. But please, would you pray for me? And she got in her car and drove off. And I prayed for her. I saw her the next week. And she said, how did you pray? And I told her exactly how I prayed. And she said, that's exactly how my prayers were answered. And the funny thing is, is she was a she was an elderly black lady and she only had one arm and so as I prayed for her, I prayed for her, she came back we developed this awesome friendship and I began to tell her about God's call on my life and what he's called me to do and where my vision was and she just said well I'm gonna start praying for you and because I had to be to work I started the church at this time I had to be to work right at 12 o'clock at Brookshire's that's why we started services still at 10 15 so I could get off and be at Brookshire's by noon and the friendship that me and this lady developed was so awesome she knew I had to come straight to work and I didn't have time for lunch and she would bring me lunch every Sunday she would bring me lunch and she would ask how church was that day. And I'd tell her, i said, oh, girl, we grew today. We had nine people. We had nine. And she'd be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And we would start having church together. Why do I tell you that story? My pee patch was Brookshire's parking lot, praying for an elderly lady who had one arm, who was having a bad day. And oh, the blessing I got back. And week after week after week with the potato and the corn and the chicken fried steak and the, and the blessing of God. See, God was saying, if you're not faithful in Brookshire's parking lot, how can I ever give you your own parking lot? If I can't get you to pray in Brookshire's parking lot, how do you deserve your own parking lot? And so your pee patch is not your pee patch. It's your key to your pasture of promise. Saying 
along the same lines with Shema. Some of y'all are wondering this. Pastor, why is the devil so worried about my pea patch? Some of y'all are thinking, all I did was sign up to bake pies for the vision fund. All I did was sign up to bring clothes for the garage sale that's going to take place. All I did was this little thing. And pastor, ever since I stepped out by faith and did this little thing that I didn't even think was that big, the devil has been after my pea patch like you have never seen before because the devil knows if he can stop you in your pea patch, he'll prevent a whole pasture of promise from coming forth because your pasture of promise is not just about you getting a parking lot. It's about thousands coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Amen. He knows if he can stop you in a pea patch, you'll never get to the pasture of promise. See, God sees a pasture of promise. The devil sees the pasture of promise. You're the only one with messed up vision that sees the pea patch. And God says, if I can get you off this pea patch to get your head up to see a pasture of promise, then we can get you from here to there and we can shine brighter. We can shine farther than we've ever shown in our life. Some of y'all are so concerned of why the devil's worried about you. You ought to be happy the devil's worried about you. You need to change your perspective. Remember, you're fighting at a place of from victory, not trying to get to victory. And this is point number one. Everybody say one. We're not letting our temperature drop. We're staying at a setting. We're not giving up. We're not holding back. We're going to press on. We're going to shine brighter, shine farther. Last week we talked about this. Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? A thermometer is a reactionary device that does a reading of the temperature, the outside environment around it. And it actually is only a reflection of everything else going on in the world. As a Christian, are you a thermometer? Are you just a reflection of everything else that's going on in the world? And Sunday mornings are the prime time of your week. You're better than you ever are on Sunday mornings. You act better than you ever do on Sunday mornings. Everything is great on Sunday mornings you're actually being the person you know you should be all week long see i'm grieved when sunday morning is the best time of a believer's life it's not my best time of my life my best time of my life is actually when i'm in my prayer closet and it's me and god and we have real church we have church church and god moves that's the best time of my life and if i don't have that best time of my life y'all don't have any good times in here and it's that best time that makes this a great time But here's the issue. Many Christians are reactionary devices. And if their conditions are wrong, they reflect their conditions. If their family's not doing good, they reflect a bad time. If their life is going down the tubes, they reflect it. If their job's not doing good, you can see it all over their face. Hey, how you doing this morning? I'm great. I can tell. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God, I'm agreeing with you. Listen, you're supposed to be a thermostat. A thermostat is this. It's a device that has a setting. And when it's set at a certain temperature, it controls the environment around it. A thermostat is set on a setting, y'all. I need you to get set at a temperature that's so hot that when people walk by you, they feel the heat. I need you to get set on a setting that is so hot that when people walk near you, they understand that their temperature's got to change, not yours. I, you got to get set at a setting that it doesn't matter how much of a grumpy mood your boss comes in tomorrow, how bad of a grumpy mood your boss comes in tomorrow, that your temperature's set so hot, it doesn't matter because he's going to change to your temperature, amen? When you're a thermostat, you control the environment of where you're at. If you'll begin to set yourself on a setting that says, I'm going to stay hot, it doesn't matter what the world holds, the environment around you will change. I need TWBC to get set at hot because we don't have a long time to change Hopkins County and the rest of this world. So if all of us get hot together and we leave here exponentially hot, the environment of our county is going to change. The environment of the families will change. The environment of the kids will change. The environment of the school will change. The environment of your workplace is going to change. The environment of this region begins to get affected. The environment of this state begins to get affected. Amen. We had a kingdom man conference not too long ago, and a lot of men left there hot. But I wonder if those same men are still hot today. See, we had a chance to change the region and actually a four-state area. But I need men to stay hot, not just get hot because a conference showed up. Amen. We need to stay hot and get put at a setting where God can use us exponentially in a lost and dying world are you going to get hot this morning are you going to stay set are you going to watch what god can do in your life see all these 10 points are great and good but the real number one point is this 
None of this is possible without Jesus Christ. None of this is possible without making him Lord of your life. You can't have a vision, build a vision, contain a vision, do a vision, anything with vision until you actually get life so you can see.